Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let Got it. Go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in! Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert! Denies him at the rim! Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert! Skies high for the jam! Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket! Jackson turns, fires, Smoke! Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hit! What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, joined today by the one and only Michael J. Fachi. And Fachi, even Iron Man can't avoid the Pacers injury bug as Justin Holiday sprained his ankle in the Cavaliers game. Will be day-to-day. Don't expect him to play on Wednesday against Memphis in preseason. But, yeah, just a very weird thing to see Justin Holiday go out with injury. Justin Holiday, man, I mean, truly feels like, just like you mentioned, the Iron Man himself. This man does not miss games due to injury. But this bug, it is contagious, and it feels like it got him another man down. Now, here's the thing. They said he really couldn't walk on it on Saturday. By Sunday, he was walking much better. While we're recording this, it's already Monday. And look, we expect Justin Holiday to miss a little bit of time. Luckily, it seems like he avoided a major injury. But for a guy that we mentioned does not miss games, I feel like he's going to do everything in his power to get back on the court as soon as possible. But to play any of these preseason games, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and with the uncertainty of TJ Warren and Karis LeVert, now Justin Holiday goes down with an injury. This wing position right here, Fachi. It's getting really thin, like razor thin. We were joking about it before with Jeremy Lee. It might be really important, but right now, looking at this roster, it's uh, it's slim pickings on who you're going to put in to play the small forward and the shooting guard with how many injuries we've got to that position. That's totally true. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how deep this team was. Now, all of a sudden, it's Guys are dropping like flies. I mean, we went from how is Chris Duarte going to be able to crack, you know, the the real rotation or maybe the starting lineup. The next thing you know, it's like um, we're lucky we even have him and Jeremy Lamb because at that point, you know, we're, we're at a lack of bodies. Edmund Sumner is someone where it's the biggest shame in a contract year. He really could have benefited from this extra playing time. So. Right now, the Pacers are definitely, um, I think they should use these next two games to experiment with the starting lineup a bit. I know, you know, first game, Jeremy Lamb started. Second game, you had Chris Duarte starting instead. Well, now you got to shake things up a little bit. I mean, hey, look, we don't know for sure who's going to be in the starting lineup, but I feel like between Torrey Craig and Jeremy Lamb, it seems like those two seem to be the guys that I think are going to rise to the top, while I also continuously want to see more Chris Duarte in there. Yeah, I think I think Chris Duarte will probably stick with that starting lineup. I think I'm so. going off of what we saw versus the Knicks and what we saw versus the Cavaliers. Sure, I think a little bit of experience did play a factor in that, but I also think putting Jeremy Lamb back on the bench really helped that bench unit. I just feel like it was more connective. I felt like the rotations were a little bit better there with Carlisle. I think he's figuring things out on the fly with this roster, but I think just having a veteran steady hand with that second unit while putting Chris Duarte with the starters actually helps them both because while we want to see Chris Duarte kind of lead that second unit, so to say, I like him as that fifth guy in the starting lineup, a guy that's not going to draw a lot of attention, but he's going to benefit from guys like Brogdon and Sabonis being such good playmakers. 
he's going to benefit from that. Instead of being the focal point, now he's the fourth or fifth option. So I felt like it was more of a natural fit to have Duarte in that starting lineup. Plus, he's just a much better defender than Jeremy Lamb. We've talked about this. I was nervous for a preseason game, I should say. Nervous is a bad term, but I, I was curious to see how Jeremy Lamb defended a guy like Colin Sexton or a guy like Darius Garland. I'm just like, these guys are pretty quick. How is he going to defend them? So it made sense to me to play Duarte over him because Duarte is a better on-ball defender. And that is why I think Carlisle went with Torrey Craig to start for Justin Holiday once he went down with that injury in the second half. To, to play with Duarte as the as the wing rotation instead of putting Lamb back in that in that starting unit. Absolutely. I mean, a, a couple of different things over there. Jeremy Lamb off the bench, I feel like, builds a more balanced lineup over there mm. where you could put Chris Duarte in that. I mean, you could put uh, Torrey Craig in that starting lineup. And then it also feels balanced from a, from a standpoint of, hey, he's going to be the defensive three and D guy. I feel like Torrey Craig's trying to do a little bit more, like expand his game, but I feel like we just kind of need him to be more of a three and D, you know, more focus on the defensive end rather than bringing the ball up and, and handling the ball. We don't need that. Uh, but for right now, Jeremy Lamb with the second unit, I like that. Chris Duarte, just like you mentioned, being a fourth or fifth option where, where it, the pressure is not on you is Perfect for a rookie. I, I think that that is the optimal situation for him right now. He's been 5 of 11 in both games so far, so he hasn't had to be someone who's forcing a lot of shots. I think he's able to let the game come to him, and I think that it showed. I mean, so far he had just uh, one turnover uh, against Cleveland, two against the Knicks for a rookie. I mean, hey, three turnovers in two games, no one's going to complain about that. And he's showing the ability where he can make plays outside of just scoring. So I feel like it's a good option where he doesn't need to be the featured guy. So for right now, I think that I prefer Torrey Craig in that starting lineup as a small forward with Chris Duarte as the two guard. Yeah, so assuming we don't have Justin Holiday, Lavert, or TJ Warren for this next game, I know we probably will not see Lavert or Warren especially, but Imagining all three of them are out for this game against Memphis, I'll be curious to see who they bring in as the backup three because right now O'Shea Brissett has kind of been pushed out of the rotation so far this preseason. He was the 10th man on, on Tuesday night, and then on Friday he was like the 11th man. I think Brad Wanamaker actually got some minutes over him, which I don't necessarily think it was a bad thing because they're trying to see what they have in Wanamaker. But I think O'Shea at this point might be the best option at the backup three you play Lamb, McConnell, Isaiah Jackson, and Goga, or you could even throw Keelan Martin in there. You could throw Brad Wanamaker in there with that group instead of Goga if you're not comfortable with him right now. It doesn't seem like Carlisle's super in love with him so far. But, you know, I just – I just O'Shea's got to figure this out because right now it felt like in that game he was pushing a lot, really trying to show why he should be on the court, almost pressing a little bit too much, went one of six from the field, Oh, a four from three. He airballed a three in the fourth quarter, I believe it was. And you could just see the frustration on his face. Like this is a guy that is definitely trying to prove that he belongs on the court. And sometimes when you get that up in your mind, it definitely can impact how you play the game because he's starting to play to prove himself instead of just playing team basketball. Absolutely. Alex, he's four of 15 in two preseason games, Ugh. just three rebounds in two games combined. So I mean, this is not the O'Shea that we saw at the end of the year. I mean, look, it, he completely surpassed our expectations at the end of last season. So maybe we got, um, you know, maybe we got spoiled by what he showed us last year. But, yeah, he is forcing it a bit. I know some fans are really kind of thinking, hey, maybe he could be, a, you know, a starter with some of the injuries. But right now, that backup small forward, I, I like that, you know, much better for him right now. We don't know how long Justin Holiday is going to be out for. Same with Karis LeVert. I imagine that Justin Holiday might miss a couple of games. I don't think it's going to be a lot, but at the same point, hey, there's a reason I'm not a doctor. So we're gonna we're gonna leave it to the professionals. <laughs> I don't know, Fauci. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, heard that a little too much over the past you know year and a half. But at the same point, you know what? Let's let the Pacers medical staff handle that. Karis Levert, we've seen him start to get some shots up. So you know, I'm I'm hoping it's not going to be too long that we're without him. But you also mentioned Goga. Alex, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to be too hard on him. One of four in game one, one of five 
but he shot all, all five of his shots were threes in yeah. game two. And he had five fouls in 12 minutes. Yep. And he's, he's now eight of his nine shots in the two games are three-pointers. And, uh. well, they have not been going in. So, you know, look, we know that Gogan can block shots. He can. But it's now also like Miles Turner can really block shots. And, well, Isaiah Jackson can block shots. It's nice to have shot blockers, but we need a little bit more out of the center position than just shot blockers. So, you know, obviously um, Isaiah Jackson's playing the four right now, but still, I mean, our bigs, we need a little bit more than just shot blocking. So for Goga right now, I mean, this is definitely a big opportunity for him where he's not really seizing it right now. I would like to see more, but this could be a guy that could be kind of falling out of favor a bit. Oh, I think if fully healthy, he's out of the rotation without hesitation. I mean, Really, it's kind of hard to figure out who's going to make the rotation if fully healthy because the wing depth, it is there, but thankfully it's there because that's how many injuries we have right now. But looking at a guy like Jeremy Lamb, it's like how much would he actually play if we're fully healthy? Would he cut into Duarte's minutes? Would he cut into Torrey Craig's minutes? I mean, I'm not necessarily sold on Craig over Jeremy Lamb in terms of what they bring you because I think Jeremy Lamb's offense is much, much better than Torrey Craig's offense. But defensively, Torrey Craig gives you a lot more than Jeremy Lamb does. So I just I find it interesting to see how they go about it. I know Isaiah Jackson has been getting some early run, but he's not played a ton of minutes, only 13 minutes in the last game. There were some nice things from him, but also some things where I felt like you can tell this guy has some work to do. I do like some of the flashes we're seeing. He had a great block where he was at the, like the free throw line and chased it down and blocked it out of bounds. Just a guy that is just a freak athlete. I believe Jeremy Lamb threw him a nice alley-oop as well. Good to see a guy that just can go up there and grab the ball above the rim and and dunk it home. So, you know, Isaiah Jackson brings something that some of these other guys on the roster don't. And and so it's just, it's tough to figure out. But at this point, looking at this team, TJ McConnell to me is a guy that really has not fit in these last two games particularly well. I thought he shot the ball decently. In, in the next game, I think he went three of four from three, if I'm not mistaken. But it was two, two of three. Two of three. Okay. It was impressive, I mean, though. It got yeah. me excited. Right. And then in the game against Cleveland, he was over four from three for one of five shots, you know. So a lot of three-pointers are being taken right now. I don't know how much to read into that. But, you know, we're shooting a lot more threes with Carlisle than I anticipated. But at the same time, it's like, guys, you don't necessarily – one to shoot three, like TJ McConnell, that's not his game. Uh, Gogo, one for five. O'Shea, 0 for four. Isaiah Jackson shot two threes that did not look very pretty. He was 0 for two. Um, it's just one of those things where we have to get better at three-point shooting. I know it's an emphasis of Rick Carlisle's, but I am a little bit concerned with the guys that are taking these three-point shots because that's not their game. No, I definitely hear you on that. I mean, TJ McConnell, look, like it'd be nice if he could ever go like, one of one from from three in a game and you're like okay all right great you know and then maybe he doesn't shoot you don't want to see him putting up four threes in a game that just that's that's way too much but i gotta give props on this maybe it's a fluke demontis sabonis two of three from three and alex his shot it looks a little bit different it looks a bit more smoother it looks like more of a follow-through i mean maybe it's just a fluke because he didn't make any threes against the knicks so he was over two I don't want to read too far into it because I remember when we had Scott Agnes on. I was like, what do we do with TJ McConnell? Is he going to be a capable three-point shooter? And then he goes over four. So yeah. I don't want to look too far into it. But, you know, Sabonis' shot, I thought, looked a little bit better. So that was exciting yeah. to see. Yeah, I think if you look at both Sabonis and McConnell's shot, there's still like this weird hitch in McConnell's shot. Like, I, I don't really understand the mechanics of – you know, how he goes about it, but it's definitely like he doesn't look comfortable doing it. I noticed last year a lot of times Sabonis had a hitch in his shot. I mentioned this on Twitter live during the game. Sabonis, when he shot that three in the corner that he made, he had no hitch whatsoever. It looked smooth, Flatchy. You're right. It looked fluid. It looked like it had been something he's been working on. So we'll see over time if he's asked to shoot more threes and he does knock them down. I know Kevin Pritchard didn't give us much of a an answer when you brought it up about what he does, what he needs to do to take that next step. But he did kind of touch on three-point shooting being important. So I think if Sabonis can continue to do that, but I, I want to talk about Domas for a minute here because 28 minutes match the same as Malcolm Brogdon's. It felt like they played quite a bit together, but 
only eight shots for Domas. This is a guy that's not forcing nearly as much as he did last year. There were some times still where I think the Knicks did it too uh, against him defensively. They are anticipating that spin back that he does. He had some just some careless turnovers by being a little bit too forceful, trying to get the ball to a certain spot that maybe there's not really any room to get it. But I've been impressed by his efficiency, not forcing a bunch of shots. Like it's a weird dynamic to see Turner and a rookie and Chris Duarte put up more shots than him in less minutes. Now it's totally true. We've talked about it a few times that if the Pacers are going to take the next step, unfortunately it's going to be uh, less is more as it relates to DeMontis bonus, because he, he's, he's good. He is, but he cannot be the number one guy putting up a ton of shots. It's got to be a more balanced effort. Otherwise it's going to become very predictable. And I mean, that's what happens when a guy like that has six turnovers. It's, People start to expect yeah. certain things, so he's got to be able to kick it out. And look, while he only had two assists in the game, I'm not worried about that because so much of the offense has gone through him at times that, you know, this man's going to have triple doubles on the year. But I just feel like, yeah, eight shots. Look, that obviously he's going to put up more shots than that. But I think that that's going to translate to winning. Now, look, playing the Cleveland Cavaliers can make a lot of teams look good. But <laughs> I think that we're going to see that. I think we're going to see him take a step back from the uh, field goal attempts this year. And I hope that that can create a few more shots for maybe Miles Turner. Maybe it's Chris Duarte. It, it's uh, Karis LeVert when he's healthy. TJ Warren, it has to happen. This is the year where a guy like Sabonis is going to have to sacrifice because last year, TJ Warren wasn't even on the court other than four games. Karis yeah. LeVert had a career year. I mean, there's guys like Brogdon had, had – Maybe his best year last year, definitely from a statistical standpoint of like career highs and scoring, sure. But we haven't even given Brogdon his props. Brogdon was unbelievable against Cleveland. He yeah. was on fire. I felt like that floater was highly effective. I mean, 12 of 14, so it's obvious that everything was effective. But 27 points. I mean, he the man was on fire. Here's what I want to ask you, though. We've seen Brogdon start the season the last few years really hot. And then eventually kind of fades off a little bit as he gets hurt. Do you think it's going to be the same thing? Or maybe can we just keep Brogdon hot throughout the year and maybe just stay healthy? That's that's the big question. Yeah, I think minutes will be a big thing. I know I was kind of annoyed with the whole topic last year because it was just overkill, in my opinion, how much every other Pacers podcast or every person on Pacers Twitter just brought up the minutes. It's like we know the minutes are high, but like, they're not getting injured at this point. So I understand the concern, but I just didn't want to overkill and talk about that nonstop on our podcast because I felt like a lot of people were hearing it everywhere else. So it is important, though, that I that Rick Carlisle minimizes the amount of minutes that he and Sabonis play overall per game. I think that being put into a more comfortable position, like Brogdon talked about the floater that he's worked on. I, I noticed the floater was very effective for him in that game. I believe Tony East asked him about that, and he said he worked on that shot quite a bit in the offseason. So I think Brogdon, I, I know that we've had our back-and-forth feelings on him, and I've said this a few different times, but we really do take him for granted because it's games like this where you realize he's that impactful to a team. And, and if the Philadelphia 76ers were to go out and get a guy, I think Brogdon, for what he does, I mean, two of three from three, but 12 of 14 overall for 27 points, like, that's a really good player, especially a point guard, someone that doesn't turn the ball over too much. I know that he's got flaws, but I, I mean, in this game, he was near flawless, in my opinion. And, and quite frankly, I thought it was a pretty good tweet, but I guess a lot of uh, reaction or what little reaction I got to it, I guess it wasn't as funny as I thought it was. But I said that you probably have a better chance of fitting the lottery than Brogdon missing tonight. So uh, Brogdon was just on fire, Fachi. And I love the way that him and Domas carried the team together. Plus 17 went on the court together. They were both fantastic in this game. And just real quick on Domas, I really enjoyed the way that he's not forcing, the way he's spreading the floor like Carlisle's asking of him, the way he's connecting so many different plays with dribble handoffs and screens and different ways he can be utilized without putting the ball at the basket, you know, or being involved in every single pick and roll. So this is a way for Domas to, to evolve as a player. And I think that he can continue to grow in this role as well. Absolutely. I mean, this is someone that we heard last year 
was very focused about his stats, was potentially angry if he was taken out just before getting a triple-double and all of that. So if we see this man truly sacrifice this year and it translates to winning, I want it to be acknowledged. I want it to, to be known that, hey, he's taken a step back because it's for the betterment of the team. So I think that that's what's going to be very important. I mean, right now, early in the year, if there's going to be no Warren, you know, no Justin Holiday, no Lavert out there, obviously no Edmund Sumner anymore. Um, then at that point, hey, he might need to take more shots. But when those guys are back and healthy, you got to divide it up because it's not like a guy like TJ Warren, who led us in scoring two years ago, is just going to go from 20 points per game to like 13. That's not going to happen. Karis Lavert coming off a career year. I mean, he averaged basically, you know, it was like 20 points as a pacer last year. You know, he's not going to just all of a sudden average 13. So these guys are going to have to take you know, one or two shots from, from each guy and, and divide it up. And I think that we have the talent to be a balanced team. It's going to come about sacrificing. And Chris Duarte, right there, if he's going to be in the starting lineup, that's probably going to have to be the first guy to sacrifice and just kind of let things happen and let it come to him. And I think that that's the perfect spot to be able to continuously learn. And I think that Rick Carlisle in the past, you know, Outside of Luca, maybe he hasn't had the rookies that he can really kind of not to say throw in the fire, but really throw out there and get solid minutes. But Duarte, he he seems to be NBA ready right now. And I know it's just two preseason games, but Alex, we said it about summer league. Oh, it's just summer league. He's been five of eleven in both games. He just seems like a guy that can make defensive plays. And hey, he's gonna have some rough times. He is, but at this point, we haven't seen something yet that goes okay. That we got to get him out of the starting lineup. Yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about Duarte, but I want to share something that's gonna take a little bit of time. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hit on that Duarte conversation, and I also want to discuss Brad Wanamaker right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back, and, and we're talking about Chris Duarte here. So you brought it up, Fachi. It's a great point. Five of 11 in both games. I thought, wow, pretty consistent, but also at the same time, two totally different roles that he was asked to play. So to me, I feel like Duarte, just watching him on court, it, to me it's more so just the fundamentals and how he plays the game. It's not necessarily like, oh, what were his stats for tonight? I just like to see how his footwork is, how his communication is. And I don't know if you saw this video. Um, our good friend Josh Padmore posted it. I shared that video because I had seen it too as well on the stream. But there was a moment before halftime ended where Malcolm Brogdon and Chris Duarte were having a conversation about a, a previous play in the first half. Mm -hmm. And Brogdon is just not being over the top, but he's just, you know, hey, this is what you need to do. This is where you messed up and kind of explaining to him. And Duarte kind of asked a question and looked at him and put his hands up in an emotion like he's playing defense. And Brogdon pointed and kind of showed him what he should have been doing anyway. And I, I thought it was really cool to be able to see that because that's not something you normally see with trying to find ways to watch these games. If you don't have league pass, you know, you might be streaming it. And so this is what they were showing on that stream and not showing the commercials. So to me, it was really intriguing to see how Brogdon was coaching up Chris Duarte and how Chris was so ready to learn. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but Brogdon in the post game had a great, you know, little clip where he was talking about Chris Duarte. I want to play it right now. Man, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Chris. I'm a huge fan of how he carries himself, his poise, uh, his maturity, um, and then his versatility. Yeah, offensively, defensively, he plays both ends. And, uh, you know, but the most impressive thing about him is he's a, you know, he's a top lottery pick and uh, a guy with a lot of clout, a lot of attention coming in, but he wants to learn. He's soaking everything up. Um, he's asking questions. He listens. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be really, really good. All right, Fachi. So pretty high praise there from Brogdon on Duarte. What are your thoughts on that? 
I love it. I, I think that Brogdon at this point, you know, he's been in the league for, I think it's about six seasons now. I think he's got a lot that he can teach. And I think Duarte is someone who's got a lot to learn. Sounds like he's soaking up everything, asking the right questions. And I think that Brogdon is someone, like I mentioned before, a hair under being an all-star. So there is a lot that Duarte can learn to take his game to the next level. And I, I think that Brogdon, he's at a spot now where he's mentioned he wants to lead. What better way to lead than to take people underneath your wing? And I think that I couldn't be happier that he's doing that. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great that Duarte is willing to learn. I love that that Brogdon brought that up. And I, I think it just shows like why the Pacers really liked Duarte. And I know we made a joke about it always just like the, the age thing, the age thing, the age thing. It's like, I'm going to get tired of hearing how old Chris Duarte is. But at the same time, that age shows experience. And I think that when you're trying to win and you're trying to compete at the highest level, even though he's a rookie and you can definitely tell he is a rookie player, he has what it takes to compete in this league. So, you know, I love what I'm seeing so far from Chris Duarte. I think that he's going to be a, a key foundational piece of this team. And I'm just here to see him grow because quite frankly, if he doesn't have to be the guy right away, but is able to see how these other guys work, absorb everything, because you've got some really good workers on this team and you've got a lot of players on this team that have been counted out, have been told you're not good enough. You know, that's kind of what the Pacers go for. They go for these guys that are good, but not great players, guys that are a little bit overlooked and and people they have to prove themselves over and over so i think if you can get that infected into duarte's mindset hey i gotta prove that i belong i gotta prove that hey i might be 24 but i'm a top rookie in this draft class let me go out here and put my you know my best foot forward and, and just work my butt off to become that player i i'm all i'm all excited to see what duarte can do and i think it's pretty apparent so far through these two games that Duarte right now is going to be much more helpful than Isaiah Jackson. No doubt. I mean, look, Isaiah Jackson is definitely doing things well. I mean, three blocks in the last game and a steal. Like you mentioned before, he can catch lobs. He finished a nice lob before. Pacers have not really had a lob guy before. I think that his role can expand as time goes on. But I think that Chris Duarte is ready to play right now. And I think the fact that he can create his own shot is great. Make plays for others. And he just seems like someone that, I don't know, he's just better than everybody expected at this point. Mm -hmm. and, and I think at that point, it, it's a major luxury for the Pacers when guys are dropping like flies. So to get him some experience in this in a starting role right now is so crucial. I think it, it's huge. Even if come the regular season, he's not the starter, it's still great experience. And I think all of that enables him to continue to develop chemistry. And I think that... Right now, I mean, Brogdon said that he's a huge fan of, of how Duarte carries himself, his maturity, his versatility. I think that Carlisle's had some great praise. So both rookies right now, I think it, it sounds like right now the Pacers hit this out of the park in terms of those two picks, and that's what they had to do. I know we talked about before guys like Moses Moody. You know, we really like Moses Moody. But you know what? That wouldn't have been a pick for this year. That would have been a pick for the future. Right now, Duarte is giving this team hope for a now and later. And that's kind of rare in the NBA these days because a lot of guys don't really get that chance early on. Well, it seems like he's going to get that chance. and We're going to be the ones that benefit from it. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. We are going to benefit from it. And I want to transition just a little bit over here, Fachi, to another important conversation, another thing to look at, and that is the third string point guard. We know Brad Wanamaker was brought in on an Exhibit 9 deal which is a little bit different than the Exhibit 10. And I guess the biggest difference is, is if, he, if he gets injured, the Pacers aren't responsible to pay his contract if he does get injured during training camp. So we'll see if he does make the roster. But if I were to put my money on it, I think he is a lock to make the roster. I think he actually is more of a lock than Keelan Martin. And there's only one reason why I feel that way, and it has nothing to do with the rotations from the game against Cleveland, but it was the press conference where Rick Carlisle talked about Brad Wanamaker and what he said specifically was, is he looked like an NBA player, which to me feels like not a knock, but maybe a little bit of a knock to the guys like Dejan Giroux and Kiefer Sykes, because those two guys are the ones that are also competing for this backup point guard position behind McConnell and Brogdon. 
But Wanamaker, you could just tell when he got in the game, he had some nice skip passes. He was doing some nice things out there, not forcing a lot of shots. But he also gives you the combination to play a little bit of two if you need him to play some wing with how much wing injury uh, concern we have right now. He's not a bad three-point shooter, didn't shoot hardly any at all in the game against Cleveland. I don't think he took any, if I recall right. But I I really like what I saw from Wanamaker. You just felt a little bit more comfortable with him out there on the floor than maybe a guy like Sykes or maybe a guy like Giroux. But I also think having another veteran on this team will be impactful, especially knowing his role and being able to fulfill it when it's his time to be called upon. Absolutely. That's the thing. Look, you're looking for your third string point guard role. We've talked about it. Maybe in some other teams, it's not as important, but it wasn't too long ago. TJ McConnell was that third string point guard. Look at him now. Ended up signing, you know, the biggest deal of his career, plays major minutes for the Pacers. Brad Wanamaker has that experience. At 32 years old, he's probably the oldest on the team. I know Justin Holiday is right around there. I think Holiday might be 31. So, Wanamaker is a veteran. He's been all around a guy with a chip on his shoulder who went undrafted, had to play all, all around overseas for years, Italy, France, Germany, Turkey. He's been all around. And you know what? I think all that experience, it's just, it's more the, the NBA experience, playing with Boston, playing with Charlotte, where he's actually familiar with Ronald Mered, um, for the Pacers. Um, I, I think that that's something that it's a nice little bonus right over there, but when you look at Kiefer Sykes, it's it's rough that Kiefer had that injury, kept him out of the Cavs game, something like that. I know you're, you're looking to make this decision after just a few games because Wanamaker basically comes out of the bushes out of nowhere, and next thing you know, it's like, well, it looks like he's going to make the team. But I think it's the right move, assuming that he continues to play well. Five assists to just one turnover, look, it's all we really have to go off of. That's what you want in your third-string point guard. Can someone distribute the ball? Keep it going. Like he was just one of two. It's hard to really look into in terms of shooting, but it just felt like, like you mentioned, he's an NBA player where guys yeah. like Dejan Giroux, Kiefer Sykes, like you really don't know. I mean, if you gave him extended minutes, they could, they could do anything. It, it could be, they could fall on their face or they could look all right, but they're probably not going to look great. And I know that sounds mean, but I feel like Brad Wanamaker could probably more be a consistently steady veteran third string point guard so real quick justin holiday was born on april 5th of 1989 brad wanamaker was born on july 25th of 1989 so justin still has him Ooh. justin is still the grandpa of the team yep. by three months i believe but <laughs> regardless of all that i have to agree i mean it's uh i think brad wanamaker i actually like the way that he played in this game and with his full beard and just being a little bit shorter he's he's kind of pudgy like not fat but he's bulkier looking he reminded me a lot of Kylo Quinn, but like oh, I could see that. A, a miniature version of Kylo Quinn. I tweeted that out during the game and people were in agreement with me, but I was just laughing because it's like, it's just like we got a mini Kylo Quinn out here playing point guard. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm actually excited to see what Wanamaker can do with this team. I mean, obviously you don't anticipate him playing much at all, but we know that Brogdon, like you said, has had injuries throughout his career. You would feel more comfortable if you could start McConnell and maybe bring in Wanamaker as the backups of McConnell, or if you want to do what McMillan used to do a lot of times where you kept that bench unit intact, if it was really a good bench unit, maybe you could start Wanamaker at times, you know, not playing the full 30 some minutes that you, you expect from Brogdon, but split those minutes up a little bit more evenly with McConnell. That way McConnell's not taking on some bigger role and you're not messing up the entire flow of everything. But I do like Wanamaker, especially since Carlisle likes to shoot threes. I'm intrigued to see how he does, but, I thought you brought up a great point. His connection with Ronald Norad, the coach from Charlotte that was a former coach or former player at Butler, his team was the white team yesterday in the in the fan jam scrimmage that won thanks to O'Shaber set going off. But it was just really intriguing to me uh, to see that connection because I had totally spaced that. I didn't even think about it, but maybe Ronald was like, hey, we got to get Brad in here. I think he's a good player and he could fit our, fit our team. And Rick was probably like, yeah, that's a good idea. And he's got experience. I, I think just having experience at that position is very important. No offense to the guys that don't have it, but this Pacers team, they're looking to win. They're not a team that's looking to just try to try to make the play-in game. They're, they're fighting for a playoff spot. That, that's just how it is. I mean, the NBA is one of those where it's so hard to get that first experience. I mean, when you look at guys like Kiefer Sykes that have been all around, same with Brad, Brad Wanamaker. 
But when you get it, 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 it makes all the difference because it's like, though no one's going to say that Brad Wanamaker has been, you know, a great NBA player, but he's been around on enough teams that he's someone you don't have to worry about. So, and this is also someone where while he's played limited minutes for his career, he's averaging about 0.7 steals per game. So in limited time, he had been averaging close to about, you know, in some stops, 0.8, 0.9. So it feels like defensively with this team wants to, you know, buy in on defensive end. I feel like Brad Wanamaker is someone that we don't have to be too worried about, but he can also distribute the ball enough where I don't think he's going to be a liability. And obviously the plan is to not play your third string point guard a ton of minutes. But it just feels like someone that the team can feel a bit more comfortable with. Oh, completely agree. All right, Fachi, uh, what did you want to bring up next on today's show? I would say talking about some of the young guys. Now, look, 16 players logged minutes for the Pacers in this game. 10 of those 16 players played at least 12 minutes. But you have guys where it's still, and Terry Taylor was the one who did not get any minutes. Nate Hinton got two minutes. Those two guys... It's tough, I don't, but I don't see it really working out for, for the both of them. Kiefer Sykes, um, he's, he's going to return. He's going to play against Memphis. So I'm excited to see what guys like Kiefer Sykes, Dejan Giroux, Dwayne Washington, um, and even Keelan Martin, I, wa- I want to see what they can do. And obviously Brad Wanamaker for this next game against Memphis and our final preseason game because those are the guys that you really still have questions about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this – this unit here, Fachi, I mean, some of these guys I think that are mostly brought in on these Exhibit 10 deals are to look at for the G League because yes. they want to see what they can do for the Mad Ants. And the Mad Ants are going to be here, give them some experience. I thought it was interesting that Taylor did not play at all in the preseason game against Cleveland. I understand that there's only so many spots you can get, but him getting a DNP coach's decision, like not even playing four minutes or whatever, is a bit of a sign like, hey, he's probably going to be cut. I don't I don't know what other guys are going to be out there that the Pacers might have interest in, but I, I think at this point in time, if you're not in love with a guy, then and, and you find someone that is available, these exhibit 10 contracts don't mean too much. Training camp's almost over. It might be worth it to to, you know, the NFL does it more with their practice squads. I get it, but internally you're basically doing something like that. You're you're treating this like a practice squad roster where you're cutting guys to bring other guys in and see what they can do. But I don't know how it all works right now with COVID testing and, and the vaccine and stuff like that. So it might be too late in the process at this point to cut a guy and bring him in so quickly. I don't know if they have to go through like a, a one day quarantine and figure something out like that, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm a, I'm intrigued by some of these young guys. I want to see what they can do in the G league, given a bigger opportunity like a Jero, because there was a lot of praise for him. I would love mm-hmm. to see Kiefer Sykes with the Pacers G League team. I don't know if he'll do that or if he'll go back to Europe, but I think that'd be the perfect way for him to kind of prove that he belongs is by getting a G League opportunity and maybe a team gives him a chance. Like we, we even saw Brian Bowen get a chance, and I didn't feel like Brian Bowen was really an NBA player in my opinion. So there's always teams out there looking for something, but I'm just I'm just curious what this what this Pacers team looks like with the G league team, because if Isaiah Jackson's playing with them, like who's a good fit next to him. I want to see the, the, the young guys be able to develop down there and we're going to hopefully get to see them a little bit more because they will be in Indianapolis. Like I said, so not a whole lot that I'm intrigued by from them so far, but I think Jero in that bigger, bigger role, same with Kiefer Sykes would be really exciting. And Dwayne Washington, a guy that came on our podcast, the same as Kiefer Sykes, but Washington, he actually played pretty well in the Cavs game and he didn't even shoot any threes and that's what he's known for. So I was, I was kind of shocked by that, but I I think that Dwayne Washington's a guy that's going to be a a G league guy for sure. Definitely not NBA ready at all. So a lot of the guys on the end of this roster and this training camp roster are not NBA ready. No, they're, they're not. And that that's not a knock on them. Guy like Dwayne Washington, he was just three or four against Cleveland in seven minutes. What more could he really have done? So that's someone I want to see get a little bit more playing time. I want to see this roster condense down a bit because as you get down to the last you know, preseason game, I don't want to really see Sabonis out there and Brogdon. I want to see those guys take a rest because it's just not worth it to see them play 30 minutes and then all of a sudden we go into the regular season down another starter potentially. So I, I want to have that last game you know, against Cleveland just really reserved for just some of the young guys. And I think for now, a guy like Nate Hinton, uh, Terry Taylor, you know, maybe you just make the decision and move on 
because Keelan Martin, his contract's not guaranteed yet. I think while people, you know, mostly would say, hey, the Pacers are probably going to guarantee that, especially after, you know, the Sumner trade. I still want to see a bit more. Three or four against Cleveland in eight minutes. That was good. Uh, against the Knicks, you know, Keelan Martin, two of six. I mean, obviously you make one more shot, you're 50%, but I still want to see a bit more because that's someone who caught on big time towards the end of last year. But, you know, I want to know, is is he is he worth keeping on the team? I think at this point when they've, they've uh, gone back and forth pushing his date, it sounds like he'll get that contract guaranteed. But I, I would say one of the next things that I want to touch on, the defense looked much better in this game. This was a game that the Pacers kind of had their foot on the gas, you know, and, and to put it in perspective, Pacers only forced four turnovers against the Knicks. That's disgusting. That's nothing. <laughs> they forced 20 against Cleveland. That is a major difference. So, and one other thing when I got to talk about the defense or just overall, ever since we started this podcast, I have complained about the rebounding. It's just two preseason games, but the Pacers have been over 50 rebounds in both games Wow, I like to see. Real quick before I go to the defense and the rebounding conversation, I was going to ask you, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Cassius Stanley, would you have rather have seen him with this team than any of the guys that we mentioned? Taylor, Hinton, Sykes, Washington Jr., or uh, Jarrell? Yes, I would have rather have seen Cassius Stanley with this team than, than Nate Hinton and Terry Taylor. So what about, know, what about the other guys? I, mentioned? I, I, I think Dwayne Washington, I think is going to be a better pro than Cassius Stanley. Okay. Keeper, Keeper Sykes. I, I can't go too much because he missed the Cleveland game. So now we're really just going off of one preseason game, but um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if Cassius Stanley is <laughs> going to make the team in, in Detroit. I feel like it's probably a long shot, but I think that it was kind of weird how, how things went down. I don't think we really got, too much clarity on that of why, you know, the Pacers pulled that contract back. I know, I think it was probably because Cassius Stanley wouldn't sign that two-way deal. I mean, is that your understanding of it? Well, he was on a two-way deal. That's the thing. So it expired. You can only sign two two-way deals, but they had already given that to, uh, who did they give it to before they had Dwayne? Oh, it was two Cassius. Cassius had it. It expired. And then they gave that to Dejan Jarrell, which meant, okay, hey, Cassius is probably out of the loop now, but from Jay Michael's reporting, he was still going to get a, a training camp offer, and they didn't even really give him that. And it looks like they gave that to Nate Hinton instead, which he played for Carlisle previously in Dallas. So maybe Hinton was more of a Carlisle guy, and he felt more comfortable with him. But we talked about it last year. I I, I was intrigued by Cassius Stanley because of his <laughs> athleticism. Of course. And that's something this Pacer team needs. Like, look, you're talking about a two-way guy or a G-League-level G player, so it's not – the end of the world that is not on the roster. I'm not mad about that, but I feel like some of the stuff that was intriguing about him was more intriguing than some of the guys I have on the on the end of the roster now, like a Taylor or, or a Hinton. I feel like Stanley to me would make more sense. I, I mean, I don't want to say anything bad against Sykes because he's a guy that's still competing possibly for that third string point guard. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? So mm -hmm. that's where I don't want to get ahead of myself in that regard. But I just feel like the upside of Cassius Stanley, maybe a little bit more intriguing than some of the guys that they brought into camp, but it could have just been a sour into a relationship by moving on from the two-way deal and not giving him that second one. But they gave Brian Bowen two two-way deals. Like you really, like you don't think that Cassius Stanley was worth two two-way deals, but you gave Brian Bowen two two-way deals. Like I'm not trying to slander Brian Bowen, but it's like Cassius Stanley, like they wanted to see him play. And like he actually got some minutes with Nate Bjorkman against the Suns in the very beginning of the season. And in that four to five minute stretch, whatever he played, he didn't look bad. So to me, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, I feel like Cassius Stanley like had something to at least show a little bit in terms of a G League level player. But I'll move on from that. Let's get back to defense and rebounding. And I agree with you 100%. Defense was a lot better. I think that it was probably a focal point after that game to focus on that. They've got to get better at that. I also think a lot of it has to do with the rotations. Tory Craig played more. Chris Duarte played more. Jeremy Lamb didn't start. I thought that starting Duarte made more sense defensively. I think Craig just giving him a bigger role. They didn't play O'Shea as much either. So I feel like, hey, you know, Isaiah Jackson, Duarte, and Torrey Craig, they're all better defenders than, than Brissett and Jeremy Lamb in that group. So that definitely just makes a difference on who's out on the court and who's not. But I also think 
just the way that they were playing schematically was huge and and rebounding is another thing it's just it's great to see the team rebounding collectively it's not just one person like Sabonis who did get 10 rebounds dominating the glass there was a couple times I'm sure you remember Chris Duarte crashing that offensive glass getting some big getting some big offensive rebounds kicking them out for threes that led to open shots and and we and we scored on them so I think that the emphasis is going to be a little bit more aggressive on both the offensive and defensive rebounding side of things as well as the defensive things. Man, staying on the rebounding subject for a second, a lot changes in one game, but Jeremy Lamb, the rebounder, I don't know. You know, I mean, he mentioned, <laughs> he mentioned he really wanted to emphasize rebounding this year because he felt 100%. And when he had nine rebounds in the first game against the Knicks, I was like, whoa. And then, uh, you know, just two rebounds in, you know, 18 minutes against Cleveland. You know, so I don't want to look too far into what happens in one game and what happens in the other. So, you know, hey. A lot can change in one game, but as it relates to that question, who is the player you want to see step up most against Memphis? Who is the player I want to see step up the most against Memphis? That is a great question. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm. You got me stumped on this one. Um, I, I, I guess, I guess for me, it's got to be O'Shea Brissett. Okay. This is a guy that's been struggling. This is a guy that I talked about earlier in the podcast. He's given an opportunity to play, and when he does, he's forcing, forcing, forcing. I feel like he's got the body size that you want. He's got the tools that you want in a player, but he's not putting that you know, on the court. He's not producing on the court. And, and I will just tell you this. O'Shea Brissett was a total Nate Bjorkman hire. That was a Nate Bjorkman finding from his time mm-hmm. with the Raptors 905. Kevin Pritchard loves O'Shea Brissett. O'Shea is still on this roster because of Kevin Pritchard, and, I, and I'm and i with Kevin Pritchard. I think that O'Shea Brissett is a guy that can really help because he was probably one of the most fun spots of last season. We've talked about it. But Carlisle is not as committed to him. Carlisle wants him to prove himself, and if he continues to shoot the way he has been, and force things and not play the type of basketball that Carlisle would probably like, then you're probably going to see him out of the rotation once fully healthy. And I know some fans aren't going to be happy about that, but Hey, you know, Carlisle has a certain level that he wants these guys to play at. And if O'Shea is not meeting the criteria, then I, then I think that that's something he's going to have to work on, but I'm going to ask you the same question you asked me. So Fachi, what player do you think needs to prove themselves the most in this Memphis game? I'm going to go with Goga. I feel like from a shot blocking standpoint, I mentioned it, we've seen it, but from an offensive standpoint, where is it? I mean, Goga is that player right now that is a major question mark where he's going to be battling for minutes. I mean, we've already had more centers than any team can handle. And it's at the point where if Goga doesn't show anything at all in the preseason, how are you to expect him to step his game up come the regular season? And if we're only seeing Goga log, five minutes per game in the regular season, I I find it hard to believe for him to have confidence in himself. And I think at that point, Goga could be someone who, I don't know, you never know if he could be packaged midway through the season. What value does he have, though, at this point? That's why I said packaged. He's got to be included with someone else because one-on-one, you couldn't trade him for really anything other than taking a loss. So I, I, I think a lot... I mean, I think he'd even be able to breathe much more if Goga could put up 10 points and six rebounds next game. You know, something more, something small, but it's like it shows that, okay, hey, they got him involved. And, you know, he can't just be shooting threes. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Have only five shots and all five of them are threes and you only make one. I mean, at that point, it's just not effective basketball. So Goga is the player that I want to see step up. And obviously O'Shea Brissett, look, we're all rooting for O'Shea. We Mm -hmm. all are. But I feel like it mentions like, you know, O'Shea, he can play the three, the four. We don't need him to play the five anymore. Thank you very much for that last year. But it feels like. Never say never. (laughs) Never say never, but I hope we're not in that situation again. But it feels like Carlisle loves Isaiah Jackson. And if O'Shea isn't able to continue to show some stuff, then we might see Isaiah get some more minutes before we thought he was ready to get those minutes. And that could come at O'Shea's expense. Yeah, I think coming into the the season, we all anticipated O'Shea would get the minutes over Isaiah Jackson. Yep. But that's not been the case. So this team 
is so high on these rookies. And you could see Pritchard was about to go off and just talk about how much he loves them when we were interviewing him. But he said, you got to hold back some expectations. But I am very adamant that he truly, Pritchard and Carlisle, I think both believe that they found themselves two potential starters and Isaiah Jackson and Chris Duarte, which isn't very common to find in one draft. So if they're this high on these guys, I personally would rather Isaiah Jackson get minutes over O'Shea if they both believe his ceiling is much higher than O'Shea Brissett. But at the same time, I like what I saw from O'Shea Brissett, and I felt like that three-point shooting last year was deadly. Right now, it's not been. So it's it's a mental thing with him. He's got to get through it, and I think he'll be fine. But other than that, I'm excited just to see this team back on the court. We're all excited to see the Pacers just – at home again, playing in front of the fans. Chris Denary, Quinn Buckner are going to have the call for Wednesday night's game, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome to see these guys on the home court for the first time. Pacer fans are already excited about preseason. Despite all the injuries, I, I think with these two rookies, we have something to be excited about because they are bringing some life to a team that kind of felt lifeless after the Pacers, quote-unquote, pretty much ran it back. I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, running it back, it's one of the stalest terms that we could possibly imagine at this time. But when you inject some youth into this team, it feels like, hey, not only is the future bright, but why can't we be a playoff team this year? And I'm not just talking about being a you know play-in or an eighth seed. If this team can finally just get healthy, it's a long season, guys. Remember, this is an 82-game season again, not a 72. So... Guys like Karis LeVert, they're going to be coming back. Justin Holiday, they're going to be coming back. Little by little, we're going to see this team get better. TJ Warren is the guy that, you know, he's the question mark of when's it going to be. But the Pacers have been adamant they are not going to rush these guys back because it's a longer season. Things are going to be all right. We can move at a little bit of a slower pace, and I think it's going to work out. Totally agree there, Fachi. So let's wrap up today's podcast. Where can the people find us at on social media? You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. And you can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. All right, everybody. And if you are excited to see Chris Duarte at home as a starter for the Indiana Pacers and our preseason action Wednesday against the Memphis Grizzlies, say these two words. Let's go Pacers! Oh, we have some smothered chicken on that one! Smothered chicken! This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.